When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. This episode of the Bird Shot Podcast is presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. On this episode of the show, we're talking setters, Scandinavian upland hunting, and more with Kevin Erdvig. Thanks for tuning in to episode number 224. All right, welcome to another episode of the Birdshot Podcast. Everybody, thank you for tuning in. We're going to talk to Kevin Erdvig, bird hunter and talented filmmaker, most notably for Project Upland. We'll chat with Kevin coming up shortly. But I want to mention the survey. Please keep filling out that survey for the Birdshot Podcast. 22 questions, just some basic information on listeners of the show. There's a link in the show notes to this episode. Tap that and take a few minutes to fill out that survey. I would really appreciate it, and thank you for doing so. All right, thank you to Patreon patrons of the show, of course, those of you out there making voluntary contributions to the show to keep these conversations coming your way. Patrons are eligible for giveaways, bonus content. We put up a new bonus episode last week with Nick Adair of the Gun Dog It Yourself podcast, exclusive discounts and offers from time to time, and we do set everybody up with some Birdshot podcast can coolers and stickers. You can learn more and sign up at patreon.com forward slash birdshot. All right, one last reminder, if you happen to be located in the Chicago area and are listening to this episode on the day it's released, tomorrow, Saturday, June 10th and Sunday, June 11th, I will be at the Green Acres Hunt Club along with Dan LaFon of Upland Gun Company. We will be at the Green Acres Hunt Club exhibiting RFM shotguns from Upland Gun Company while there is a big side-by-side shoot going on on Saturday. That shoot is full, but anybody listening or hearing this is welcome to stop on by and 
check out our shotguns, chat with Dan and I. On Saturday, the course is closed, but we should have a patterning board and a single clay thrower nearby. And then on Sunday, the Sporting Clays course will be open to the public for standard member pricing. So one last heads up there. This weekend, Saturday, June 10th and 11th, myself and Dan LaFond of Upland Gun Company will be at the Green Acres Hunt Club just south of Chicago. So hope to see some of you there. All right, let's get into our conversation today with Kevin Erdvig. As I mentioned, he is a freelance filmmaker and a passionate upland bird hunter with his first bird dog, which happens to be an English setter. Naturally, Kevin and I had an immediate connection there. I spent a day in the woods with Kevin a couple of years ago. I've gotten to know him a little bit through some of his work at Project Upland and some stuff we've done with Upland Gun Company. I'll drop a link in the show notes to a Project Upland film. Kevin shot with Stephen Faust of Stony Brook Gordon Setters, former guest of the show. That was an Upland Gun Company project, which I think showcases Kevin's work exceptionally well. So if you haven't had a chance to watch that, go check it out and you'll see what I mean. But on today's show, Kevin and I caught up a little bit, briefly talked some spring turkey hunting before we get into first bird dog stuff, bird hunting video games, among other things. And as you'll hear me say in the episode today when it comes to bird hunting video games and hunting games in general. I am interested in your feedback. So when you hear that in the conversation today, if you got any information for me, email me at nick at birdshotpodcast.com. I'm curious, where have all the bird hunting games gone? Maybe I'm out of the loop. Maybe not. I'm willing to license the Birdshot Podcast name and all of its clout for a great new bird hunting video game. Let's make it happen. Who do you know? Who can we talk to? All right, enough about that. Let's talk upland birds and bird dogs. And welcome into the conversation and on to the Birdshot Podcast, Kevin Erdvig. Let's jump into it. We're on the Birdshot Podcast. Thanks for joining me today, Kevin. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, Nick. My pleasure, and I'm looking forward to diving into some of these topics we got on the agenda today. But first and foremost, what have you been up to this spring? You've been... Getting on any brook trout or maybe some turkeys? Yeah. So uh, as, as soon as spring rolls around here, we, uh, me and my brother and my friends, we hit the uh, brook trout streams pretty hard. Um, made, a, made a trip up to my friends in central PA to do brown trout, so that was super fun too. Mm. Um, so yeah, as soon as spring rolls around, we, we try to do some, spraining, uh, some spring training on woodcock. Yep. Uh, and then our, as, soon as, as soon as they start nesting, our eyes kind of go towards... Uh, uh, brook trout and fishing season. You know, fishing season. So, yeah. So we've been doing that. I uh, got out a couple days for turkey unsuccessfully. So it's turkey is one of those things where I, I always have these great grand plans, and then I have like <laughs> two days where I had to get up at four thirty, and I'm sitting in the woods not hearing anything, and it's just mm. like, why do I love the idea of turkey hunting so much more than I love actually turkey hunting? And then there's the day where I hear a gobble, and I'm like, that's why I turkey hunt. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, I, one of those days was not this month. I got out probably three days, um, and I two of them, I would say, were honest efforts, and I didn't hear anything. I saw some sign, um, yeah. but uh, a lot of it, too, um, I like turkey hunting with, you know, with a buddy, with a friend, and this year I had a hard time nailing down dates with people, um, yeah. so getting up and driving an hour and a half at 4.30 in the morning gets old, Oof. so. Yeah, that's, that's, a, yeah. that's about how far you got to go to get to a, a place where you want to be yeah so there are some there's some public land around here i have access to one amish farm around here that i've i've seen birds on um 
but the public land close to me gets pretty, pretty hammered. So I had a couple opportunities with work that I was already up, up towards the mountains and I was like, ah, shoot. So I, I, uh, I slept in my car one night and got up real early to get out and try. And, uh, it was an honest effort. It was an honest effort. I, I, I was out there till, till 12 and, uh, working ridges and stuff, calling, listening, sitting, but didn't 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 pan out pan out this year. I've actually only yeah. shot one turkey um, in my four years of hunting, um, which was a super fun hunt. And but it wasn't called in by me, so uh, there's a little part of that that's like left me wanting. So yeah, the, you're the still waiting for that full yeah. solo bird. Yeah, yeah. And the following yeah. year, I was real close. I was Oof. real close, and uh, it gave me the slip. And yeah, so that that feeling, I'll probably chase that again next year. But this yeah. year it was uh, uh, just a couple days, just a couple days. Well, you got roughly eleven months or so to let that all build up, and by by you know by next year you will have forgot about the potential reasons why you wouldn't want to go, and you'll just be thinking about all the excitement and the anticipation yeah. of the hunt, right? Yeah, and I think that's something about turkey is that the cabin fever that you have from yes. hunting since you know like January, and it's just like oh. It'd be fun to be out in the woods. So. Yeah, I, I I love the I love all the detail there because I'm kind of in a similar spot, you know, with my with my learning curve in turkeys, and like I have some of those same thoughts and ideas around it. Like one thing I I started to pay attention to, and like you really notice is the highs and lows of turkey hunting are so extreme. You know, when you have a bird gobbling and responding, it's like there there could be nothing more exciting in the world. But then if you're sitting out there, you know, if you got up at 4.30 and you're sitting out there and you're not hearing anything, it's just you you start twiddling your thumbs and you're like, what am I doing out here? It's just, it seems like with, when those birds are quiet, even though they might just be there, it just seems somewhat hopeless, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's, I mean, I think that might be the reason why it has that high and low too is like you think of like grouse hunting and if you're in a good spot on a, even a, even a mediocre day, you're moving some birds and your heart's getting those, you know, those palpitations all day long. Yep. You feel like you could kind of make something happen a little bit easier. I feel like, uh, huh. and, and you're there with your dog. So that helps too. Uh, so uh, yeah. even, even a poor hunt, uh, grouse hunting day means that you saw your dog work. You saw maybe a couple points, you know, where a bad day of turkey hunting is like the slowest time can move yeah. it's like checking your clock and it's like it's only eight thirty. <laughs> oh gosh yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and I, and I feel like you know maybe if, if you've been turkey hunting for 20 years and you have some because I'm starting to see it now with with having bagged a few birds and like just seeing how 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 a hunt can turn successful quickly like when you get more of those more of those experiences under your belt I think you can kind of fall back yeah. on those a little bit more but when you're started starting out it's it's hard to you don't have that confidence or that experience to fall back on. Yeah. Yeah. You don't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. That's cool. But I, I'm in, I'm in a similar situation too with, I, I haven't slept in my car yet, but I've been thinking about, cause the areas that I hunt as you get later into the season, which I have, I typically do cause I'm hunting further North and it's somewhat weather related, but also just kind of when I can get out and the the sunrise gets earlier and, and earlier, so that drive time and that that alarm clock time get really really squeezed. So I've been thinking about man, if I could you know sleep in the truck or or camp nearby, you know, would it be worth? I've just been kind of going brainstorming about that for next season, but I have yet to do it. But that's that's a consideration. 
there, there's something about like even if even if I was to drive up there, you know, at ten or eleven o'clock at night, and then just having that, being able to get up and hunt right away is just so much more appealing than driving first thing in the morning. Right. Especially if you were in a, if let's say you're parked in a spot where you could kind of hunt out of the, you know, you could just really just wake up and start listening, you know, at that time, that would, that would be helpful. Cause I'm always racing the clock, you know, the you're driving and, and it's getting the, the light is creeping into the sky and you're wondering if they're gobbling on the roost, you're wondering what you're mm-hmm. missing, you know, if you could mm-hmm. be standing in the spot a little bit earlier, that would be helpful. Although it, it hasn't hindered me too much. So, and I have yet to. Now you've only bagged one. I've I've I bagged a three or four birds now, and I've yet to have one right off the roost. I guess maybe my first bird could be considered uh, kind of first set up right in the morning. Uh, my buddy Ted called it in for me, so that was one. But every other bird has been kind of much later in the day, where it's like it, yeah, it doesn't have to be right at sunrise. Yeah, both both the one I shot and the one I should have shot were both after after 9 30 okay yeah um and they were both running gunned birds so like we were moving calling gotcha. moving calling um and that's to be honest that's why that's part of the reason i drive also is because even the public land or the private land that's close to me would all have to be set up yes in the morning yeah. with a decoy on the edge of a field and that's just i don't know that's not fun to me um if i i, I might as well be deer hunting and that's the only thing worse <laughs> it's a slow deer day I d- um, yeah so. yeah I'm, I'm with you on that because i i think the that's one of the if i was in a situation like you described i don't think i would be as enthusiastic because part of what i love about it is is walking around the spring woods and moving around and i'm and i can be in some areas where i'm you know effectively scouting for grouse hunting in the fall too so it's it's a it's a multi-purpose hunt which is part of why i think i am so excited about it but yeah, I'd be I'd be lying if I hadn't dual purposed my turkey hunting as just an excuse to scout some drummers. But uh. now, did you guys? I, I imagine you probably got on some spring birds this year. Maybe we we had almost like zero spring season just due to snow conditions here before the quiet periods hit. Did you uh, Did you have any spring training with Finn? Yeah, we had we had some. Um, I have a spot near my house that's like five minutes away and there's always a bird in the corner of this one little seep. And, uh, so we check there pretty routinely until we start finding them. And then we'll go, uh, to some of our more productive spots, but Mm. this one's just real close. Um, so it took us a while for, it took a while for one to show up there. Okay. And it actually was three birds in like this teeny little pocket. Um, so once we saw those there, we started running a little bit more, Um, but we didn't, we didn't hit any major flights. Uh, this was our, really our second year doing the, the spring training. So, uh, I didn't have a lot to go off of, but last year we had a day where we moved like 30 birds in an hour and a half. Um, and that was awesome. So we didn't have any days like that. Um, but we pretty much, pretty much once we started, started doing it, we probably got out maybe 10 days in all and we found at least two birds a day so it was it was good it was good it was uh nice to just kind of get the get the cobwebs out but we didn't have any like banner days where i was like we could really work Uh, this year i wanted to work on some uh some more steadying just through the through the flush and even like you know uh i didn't have a blank gun this year but like clapping your hands just getting some 
some sort of stimulation uh, steady yeah, yeah some sort of stimulation and steadiness yeah. um but but yeah it was overall it was good it was it was nice to get out um but it was definitely slower than last year yeah yeah that's cool i i kind of had this penciled for later in the conversation but we might as well get into it because it's a good it's a good segue you're you have your first bird dog why don't you tell us a little bit about your kind of where you're at with in the bird dog world Okay, so um, yeah, Finn just turned two uh, in May. Okay, he uh, he's an English setter. Uh, I got him. It's funny. So I I got into bird hunting through through work first. Uh, back in college, I was going for filming, and I wanted to start getting into hunting. And uh, a friend of mine it showed me Project Upland's YouTube channel and stuff. And so I I'd, I'd reached out to AJ. Um, and basically said, hey, this work is really cool. I'd love to be doing this kind of stuff. Um, and then through starting with them and filming a lot of, you know, bird dogs and yeah. uh, upland hunting, it just was like, wow, this is this is really cool. Uh, I'd, I'd always wanted to have a dog and hunt like waterfowl or something. So you had, didn't you really had hunted upland. before. You had exposure to hunting. And we'll talk a little bit about maybe your dad and you getting into hunting. But you weren't new to hunting, but you were kind of new to upland, right? Yeah, I was definitely a hundred percent new to Upland. Yeah. Um, I had, I had gone on a couple of short hunts before, before the year prior. I had just started to kind of reignite my passion and drive uh, for hunting. But yes, but I was very new, very new to both. Um, and so then I, I started looking for just bird dog breeders around me. Mm. Um, in, in hindsight, what I was really trying to do was trying to find. Um, a breeder that I could, you know, swap maybe some work for a puppy. Um, and so <laughs> nice. I had, I'd lined, I'd found two. One was, had you, uh, had you decided set. on a, on a breed or is, is that part of the no, story? Okay. No, I, I definitely hadn't. Gotcha. Um, in my mind, I always pictured myself getting, a an Irish setter or a red setter. Okay. So the, I, I came across a breeder that had red setters and I was like, oh, that's really cool. And so I'd reach out to them, and we were kind of chatting a little bit. And then I found this uh, other breeder, uh, DeCoverly. Uh, they do like Ryman type setters mm-hmm. um, up yeah, in. I've seen their ads in the magazines. Yeah, up in uh, Scranton area in Pennsylvania, Wilkes-Barre. Um, but I'd reach out to them, and they said, "Well, come up. Make sure you like, you know, setters and our dogs. But we'll have some other breeds." So I went up there, and I saw a bunch of different breeds working. I was like, "Oh, these are all really cool." Um, and this one setter that they had, her name was Giggles, and uh, she was a beautiful dog. And I just really liked how she, how she worked. Again, I didn't know much about you know watching dogs work, but she seemed to move quick, but also had like that cat-like feline crawl mm. when she was like coming into some scent. Um, so all that and the look of them, the long hair, they just were cool. Um, so I ended up doing a film for them and was going to get a puppy out of Giggles, um, but Giggles ended up not being able to um, have puppies. And I was like, ah, shoot. But, uh, the, one of the owners at the Coverly has a dog from Northwoods, um, from Jerry, uh, okay. uh, Jerry Coulter. Yep. Jerry Coulter, whose sire is, um, was it grits, right? Yes. Is that their big, yeah, their guy that they, your dogs are out of grits. Is that? Yes. Both my dogs are out of grits. I knew that your dog had a grits connection. So, so the, the Coverly's dog, that dog was sired out of grits. That that's what you're saying. Yes, okay. his name was Charlie. Okay. Um. So, 
one of the owners, Jim DePalma at DeCoverly, has Charlie, which is sired out of grits. Okay. Uh, so they and his and his saying, dog was a full Northwoods bird dogs breeding. Yep. Yep. Full Northwoods breeding. Gotcha. Um, so they bred uh, him to one of their their females, oh. and uh, in hindsight, I'm very glad. Um, I love DeCoverly's dogs. They're like the classic Ryman, and they're mm-hmm. definitely they're definitely putting more speed and more of the original Ryman um, kind of style into it. Because the original Ryman was to be a setter that was both had the looks of a classic setter, but also had a lot of um, speed and power and all that. And so they did that breeding to to bring in some more of the you know the either the field trial lines or the more of the um, right. They also they had also bred in some shadow oak bow at some point too so they were they were kind of going back to that more trying to get a sleeker dog and so the coverly had had DeCoverly brought in was, okay yeah. all right because i know uh yeah, sorry northwood i know northwoods did as well so i was just kind of straightening that out in my mind cool yes so the coverly also did that as well um so i i think i was real fortunate to get um some of that northwoods blood in mm-hmm. my dog just because of my hunting style i think i would have i was i was just very i'm very happy that it worked out the way it did because right. um, just just the style of setter that they both are. I think it's a nice mix um, for what for what I do. Yeah, and yeah, and you've now been out to North Dakota now, and you've kind of seen seen what what sort of a dog works real well out there too. I imagine so that kind of plays into it as well. Yeah, yeah, and I mean the amount of times that I'll end up out in North Dakota are probably pretty pretty small right. just because of the drive but it is nice to have a dog that i know can open up out there yeah. um and it's also nice because in pennsylvania with our lower numbers a lot of days um i really need him to stretch out and to to cover some some serious ground but then you know when we're in maine or new hampshire it's nice to have him work close just because of the numbers of birds so overall overall it's been i mean i think i'm very fortunate that I got the dog that I did and the pairing that I did from that breeder. Um, and I'm definitely, definitely psyched that I did setter rather than a versatile breed just because I really only hunt grouse and woodcock. I yeah. don't, I'm not, I'm not using them for waterfowl. I mean, it'd be fun. He loves retrieving, loves water. Um, so it'd be fun to maybe get him a wood duck next year or something in the early season, but I'm not, I don't need a dog to sit still next to me, uh, and duck hunt. Um, so overall, overall, I, you know, I could have, who knows, I could have reached out to a different, I f- could have found a different breeder, a poodle pointer breeder, a GSP breeder, and maybe I'd be here with a GSP. Um, but I'm glad that, I'm glad it worked out the way that it did, um, because I was definitely didn't quite know what I wanted or what even I was going to really get into hunting, but it, it worked out great. Yeah, I, f- I find that really interesting. And that's, that's, I was kind of curious about what your decision making process were and that, you know, it, turns out it was not sort of breed specific and you were kind of you were talking to people based on a few other things but it it came to be that you've got this setter and that that makes a lot of sense now because i mean i've i'm well i got to meet finn briefly at pheasant fest that's i'd like to like to meet him in the woods someday as well but i knew there was a i knew there was a grits northwoods connection and he definitely he's a really really handsome dog kind of has that has that Northwoods look. And I know very little about the coverly setters, but I, there, I have like an image in my mind of like what it, probably what I see in their, 
in their ad in the magazine and and it's a, it's a little you know different kind of english setter than what i'm picturing when somebody says northwoods or grits but uh, that's interesting how all that played out that's cool yeah yeah and you you look at finn and he definitely has he actually uh i think it's one of grits uh sisters or maybe it's one of charlie's sisters so finn's aunt basically. Mm-hmm. And Finn just looks exactly like her. Yeah. Um, he has a little bit longer coat, but he really doesn't have that, you know, that classic Ryman long coat, right. super droopy face. He's got a, a blocky head, but he's got the kind of the body style, I'd say, of more of a Northwoods dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But but yeah, I'm super psyched with how, how it turned out and that I ended up with, with him, yeah. for sure. So you said he just turned two, and and what kind of sparked this segment of the conversation was that spring training. And I re- I remember back to when I had Hartley in you know in the very early years, how how much that spring season played into his development and really my development to kind of you know again put the gun down, allow me to just focus on the dog, and and that it was really not until the spring of when Hartley was maybe he would have been eight or nine months old or something at that time. Uh, that's when I really saw the light bulb come on for him. He had a, he had a much different sort of first puppy season than Rose did just because my knowledge expanded so much by the time I got her. But that's that first spring season was when the light bulb really came on for Hartley and, and me, you could say, it sounds like this, this season was kind of limited. What, what about last spring? Did you guys, did you guys get out? And, and I guess just talk about how, some of that spring training has been beneficial to you in, in Finn's development. Yeah. So Finn is a May puppy. So his first season, he was, you know, we were in Maine, he was five months old. So a lot of it was just puppy season stuff, yep. just getting out there. Um, we got introed him on wild birds and that was great because he just had a blast flushing birds out of everywhere. And yeah. I got a couple points. I got a couple points that year. He's taking um, road trips and doing all that hunting dog stuff. Yeah, and that was that was just it was just good for him, you yep. know. Um, but it was, um, I actually I was filming with uh, Stephen Faust in January down in North Carolina, uh-huh. and Finn, he maybe had one or two points. Um, so overall, was not was not like a super. I mean, but. I, I didn't know really what to expect going into it. Right. And, you know, right. you talk to more people and that was like, oh, that's great. You yep. got some points out of him. He had fun. He was got introed and he liked birds and finding them. Yep. So that spring when the woodcock returned, we, it was definitely like, like you kind of had with Harley. It was kind of like a, a light bulb moment where he, you know, pointed dozens and dozens and dozens of birds held through the flush on a lot of the birds yeah. um i went out with my buddy who had a boykin and he was pointing and the boykin was keying up to oh he has a bird boykin would go up flush and finn would stand oh that's um, cool so it was like it was really fun it was yeah. really fun to to see it kind of click um but that that's when i would say woodcock clicked for him um grouse didn't really click for him till you know later this season when we were in uh new hampshire sure but but the woodcock and you know kind of the the game kind of clicked for him that that first spring. Yep. Um, but yeah, but that yeah that definitely that first spring was important in his his development and we definitely enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very similar to kind of what I recall with with Hartley for sure. So then, so then 
bring me through last hunting season a little bit. You know, you know, you got a, you got first fall under the belt. You've had a, you've had a dog for a year. You guys are, you know, you've got your bonded and you're, you're figuring things out. Talk about last hunting season a little bit. Some of the, some of the things you saw with Finn develop, you know, highs and lows. And I'm sure he's still a very young dog. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we started our fall out in, um, Minnesota and North Dakota, um, so we went out there and the, uh, the prairie was interesting for him. Uh, that was your we, first trip out there. Was that, that was last fall. So two falls ago. Okay. That's when what I thought. We met up. Okay. Yeah. And I, I had Finn, but I didn't bring him. I had flown out and he was, you know, four months old. Okay. Um, so I did not bring him out that trip, but this trip I drove out and brought him with. Uh, so we, so we did, uh, Minnesota and North Dakota. So North Dakota was definitely a learning curve for both of us. Yeah. Um, it definitely was not a, a success the first day. Um, a lot of it, he was just kind of looking at me saying, what the heck are we doing out here? There's <laughs> there's like, me and him both are like, where are the birds? We don't see cover. Um, but it, it went, by the second or third day, he was ranging out to, you know, 200 yards, 250 yards. And we did end up shooting both Huns and Sharptails over a point. Cool. Um, so that was cool. But it definitely was one of those things where... For him to really figure it out, we needed to spend some time there. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were only there for like two and a half days. So it was fun. Uh, he actually got tore up by some barbed wire. So that oh, was man. not a fun, fun experience. Um, there's a funny story with that, but I'll have you, if you ever ask Tyler um, or AJ about that, I'm sure they'll <laughs> they'll tell you. But um, well, what's the, what What can we take away? Like, is there a learning moment here on the pot? Like what, ooh, ha- what happened? Uh, um, so there, there's barbed wire everywhere out there yeah um but finn was just uh chasing a bird that he had that he had bumped and i didn't call him off soon enough and he went right through a gotcha okay Um, so i guess the lesson is uh uh make sure that woe is rock solid and that recalls rock solid before you're out around barbed wire um and make sure you have emt gel because that was that Mm. was the lifesaver yeah Um, so we just clean we brought him back cleaned him up um, and then I put a vest on him for the, the most, like the next month I put a vest on him just to keep stuff out of it and keep him from itching it. Where did he, he get like caught lived. on his chest? Yeah. So thankfully it was right on his chest. It wasn't like, it wasn't super deep, any deeper. And maybe it would have needed stitches. And like, even to this day, I can kind of feel where, you know, it just healed a little Scar funny, tissue. but yeah. yeah, but thankfully it wasn't like on, on his like you know, in between his, it could have been in between his leg and his chest where like it would like constantly rub or constantly have like tension. But thankfully, like it was on like just a loose spot, a spot that I was able to just EMT gel and kind of like hold it closed for like a couple minutes and then it would, then it would be good. Yeah. So, but. so you EMT gelled on the spot. Uh, you, you didn't have to do a stapler or anything. Walk me through that. So we were, so we were in between stapling or emt gel um tyler and aj were both on the side of emt gel so that's that's the direction we went you deferred Um, yeah deferred (laughs) to them so i got i got some just antiseptic spray and just every day i'd spray it and emt gel it um after we had hunted so i'm sure it opened up when we were hunting like but he was out the next day and he was fine um they're tough they're tough buggers no doubt. It's, yeah. I'm always I'm always surprised by how much they can withstand. I mean, because the other thing out in North Dakota was the the dryness and the rubbing on his uh, 
on his scrotum was rough. Oh. Like, it was like purple and black. So, <laughs> like so with, the, think, with the brush and stuff you're saying? Yeah, I, uh. I'm assuming. And I think it was also like we got into one cover that had a ton of burrs and they got all burred up. Like those cockle burrs? Yeah, and without uh. getting into too much detail, there was lots of chafing and rubbing going Ouch. on. Ouch, yeah. Um, so, but nothing a little cortisone cream. Um Every uh, every day didn't handle for the next uh, the next week I was putting it on yeah um, and he he was fine but but yeah the 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 prairie is a is a uh, a mean place but it was it was it was a lot of fun it's yeah. so hot when we're there too like early September early just yeah. hot yeah 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 but but no it was good I would I would definitely go back I love the Great Expanse I love the the Covey Rise of the Huns mm-hmm. like it's it's all. It's definitely something we'll go and do again. Uh, we're not going to make it out there this year, but maybe the following. Yeah, and and I know you, I know you enjoy watching your dog run through that shorter grass too. That's oh yeah, I love. It's that. just fun. It's fun <laughs> to see him. Yeah, it's yeah, it's definitely. I I see the appeal, and like when people say like like I've heard you say and uh, some other people like Minnesotans like it's a no brainer for people that live in Minnesota to just go out and experience it. That time see of your year. dog run because yeah. it's like. You got nothing to do, and it's only you know a couple hours away. It's like totally worth it. I I I, I definitely see the appeal. Right. A little bit harder for me to drive twenty hours. Yep, it's uh, a little bigger commitment to do it for you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, but overall, definitely a fun experience, and people should take their dogs out there and just just to see them run, just to see them figure so, it out, figure out a new game. Yeah. So then kind of moving forward a little bit, kind of deeper into rough grouse season, you you come back east and you're hunting around home and probably made some trips up to the northeast. How did how did that go with Finn and some uh, any any big highlights from rough grouse hunting with Finn last last fall? Yeah, so uh Minnesota I had a walk with uh before we came back, I had a walk with AJ and uh, Rich Wong and um Oh, you guys met up with Rich too? Yeah, cool. Yeah, we saw. Cool. We saw. We it was. It was. It was a party lap. Yeah, we, I know. Uh, I hit. just missed you guys. I was going out west, and then you were at Pine Ridge, and I know, like, we just didn't cross paths last year. But I knew you guys were yeah. out there. Yeah, we we must have just missed you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we we had a walk that was, I mean, it was just point after point after point, woodcock and grouse, and I missed like so many, <laughs> so many grouse for him, and that would have been, that would have been his first like perfectly pointed grouse and i just kept missing um but we went back to that same cover the next day and uh, i was able to shoot one for him um it was pretty it was pretty awesome pretty special moment it was our first you know perfectly pointed grouse that all the pieces were in place all the pieces were in place yeah. yeah so that was that was really special um and then from there we came back home and immediately went to maine and he had a so so time i was like during that time, if someone asked, like, you know, how how does Finn do? I was like, he's a great woodcock dog, but he was <laughs> he was he was struggling with the relocating on grouse. Um, like it, he he might nail point if it was sitting nice and still, but the relocating he was doing, he had a rough time uh, with that. Um, but then, pretty much from there, I went to New Hampshire and met up with AJ at his camp, and there was just one day where just the light switched flipped and it was it was i ended up shooting a a limited grouse and woodcock that day because he was just wow could not be stopped and he was relocating on them and he was tracking them and it was just 
it was really cool. It was a really cool, th those three days were like, will forever be etched in my mind as like his first week of being a grouse dog. Yeah. Isn't that, isn't that cool how like, it seem, almost seems silly, like you talk about like the sort of the light bulb coming on or the switch flipping, but you do have those days. And it's not that, that there will be, you know, it's perfection the, every day mm -hmm. beyond that, but it's kind of oh, like yeah. this, it's like these level up moments that you can kind of, you know, physically see with your dogs. Yeah. And, and it only came because, I mean, at that point we had hunted, you know, three weeks straight. So it was like just a repetition thing. Yeah. You know? And that's, I think, what so many dogs, it's just what is required is that repetition. Um, the repetition of wild birds really yeah. just hit him in the right spot. And he was, it was, it was a blast. And he had, um, he, he likes to retrieve sometimes. Um, most <laughs> of the time it's when it's a challenge. So if I shoot the bird and it's, it was either a farther shot or, you know, maybe I only winged it or yeah. um, even if it's just out of my sight, if it's out of my sight, he is very excited to bring it all the way back and so we had a couple times there where i like shot and um it had like gone over a hill or over a dip and stuff and he came just piling back through the woods with it in his mouth he retrieved a really nice one for aj too so that was fun to see too but but yeah we had a good time we had a good season we finished it up in uh pennsylvania you know best best time to hunt in pennsylvania is probably november so we we hunted november and that's you know we can we uh, can hunt through part of December. So we hunted uh, November and December, and that's when I shot my first PA grouse, and my dad shot his first grouse. So it was a really special season for sure yeah. when we got back here to PA. Yeah, there's a lot there. Uh, on the, the retrieving end, I don't know if I've ever asked a trainer about this or somebody that has like a, a much more in-depth experience level with dogs, but the idea that, you know, a not that we're – you're trying to wound or cripple a bird, but, but the idea that a, that a cripple or a, a, a wounded bird that's kind of running, escaping with a young dog to kind of fuel that chase or that drive and desire, how impactful that can be. Cause that, that happened with Rose in her first season. She was quite young and really had a flashpoint on a bird that I shot. And I thought it was down. I thought it just dropped, it just dropped out of the, out of the air, but and I thought it was going to be right there, but then it was not. And it was one of those moments where she was so young uh, that I was like, uh-oh, this bird's gone, right? But but she ended up uh, chasing this thing 30, 40 yards through some brush. And I was kind of like, I was kind of like, like, I had a GPS collar on her, I think. I actually don't even recall, but I'm like trying to just keep up with my puppy and by the time I caught up to her she had the bird and I was you know overjoyed like super happy and I just I've always just sort of remembered that and that kind of was again one of those moments with Rose where it was kind of like a the the rest of our our season really picked up from that point and I don't know how much to attribute to that but um, I just wonder about you know little things that co coincidental things like that that happen yeah yeah Finn had a big win like that in Maine this year I had shot one going away down a down an old path and uh i had seen it dip in and run mm. like i had just just gotten a piece of it and he charged into it and i was like well, he'll, he'll find if i got it i'll find it and yeah. sure enough came piling out with it and i talked to a trainer the other day um when i was boarding him for a weekend um and he said he thinks it's like you know when 
when a dog has like a hard task to do, it's more enjoyable. And I think it's the same with humans. Sure. You know? Yeah. Like if something's boring, they're 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 not they're not interested in. You know, if if I shoot a grouse dead at 20 feet and it's right in front of me, he knows that I know where it is. And it's the same with, like, even with, like, when we do the occasional pigeon, he crowds it. He's not really interested in yeah, it's more you know, giving a nice solid yeah. point. Yeah, yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not hard yeah. for them. You know, uh, easy retrieve is not hard. But those retrieves that are, that are tough, that are far away, that he doesn't know where the bird is, he knows that I don't know where it is, like... That that excitement of the difficulty, I think, is big for them too. Yeah, experiences like that that are sort of different, unique, pull, pulling on more of the dogs. In you know, you have to be, you have to be in it more. I think they've just it logically would be more impactful. But yeah, it's just interesting. I've never haven't. I don't know that I've had too many conversations about that kind of stuff because it's really because it's like it's not something you could control you know you can't control that you're not trying to wing a bird and you're not trying to do those mm -hmm. things but when they happen they can be very impactful it seems like yeah i agree gearing up for your next hunt check out ugly dog hunting company for all your dog supply needs ugly dog hunting carries a full line of products for your bird dog and even some for you whether you're looking for dog collars gps tracking devices kennels beds leads training equipment or first aid supplies ugly dog hunting carries it and a whole lot more new owner of the company and friend of the bird shop podcast mike nadusky loves to remind me that while i do hunt with pretty dogs every dog can be an ugly dog Check out the entire selection of gear for you and your bird dog at UglyDogHunting.com. For many upland hunters, along with their passion for dogs, birds, and the places we chase them, comes a passion for shotguns. Upland Gun Company specializes in customizing shotguns for the upland bird hunter imported from Italy and shipped direct to an FFL near you. Select from one of their side-by-side -side or over-under shotgun platforms and customize the fit, function, and aesthetics to your liking. Design and build your next upland hunting shotgun with Upland Gun Company today. Visit uplandguncompany.com. Uh, talk about your talk about your dad. You mentioned it. Your dad's first hunt. I that's a I I read an article by your dad in in Project Upland magazine, and I found that really interesting. He kind of mentioned you guys first started hunting, and you went on a hunt basically. And he wasn't he didn't grow up hunting, right? Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah. 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 But he took you for the first time, and then you kind of you sort of found an interest for it, and then sort of it came full circle, and you took your your dad on on his first grouse hunt. Talk me through that a little bit. Yeah, so uh, we grew up on, my dad did, and then I also grew up on Long Island, um, New York. Okay. And my, my dad's family, no one in my dad's family hunted. They were, um, my from my dad's side, were all immigrants from Norway and moved to New York City, and just the hunting wasn't even on the radar. Um, my mom's side... Um, my grandfather on my mom's side hunted, but he died before I was, you know, I was right around the age where I would have started hunting with him. Uh, he passed away. And, uh, part of, part of my, you know, want or drive or interest in hunting from a young age was the hand-me-down guns from that grandfather okay. that I, that I have. Um, so I, I had guns. I knew nothing about them. It was an old L.C. Smith side-by-side. -side no kidding. Field grade. Yeah. 16 gauge field grade wow. and a uh, model 12 pump. Oh, um, what gauge is so, that model 12? 12. Okay, cool. It is a it is a beast. That's my turkey gun. That's man, man I really uh, the turkey I shot 
I did not shoot with that gun, but that's like, I'm not going to shoot a turkey with another gun until I shoot it with that one. That's cool. Um, that's cool. Actually, uh, that I have a Model 12 that I really should do the same thing. I, I It came from my wife's grandpa, and he... It's a Model 12 16 gauge, and I guess maybe one of the reasons why I haven't used it yet is number one, I got to have Dell Whitman look at it because the magazine catch where you know you pop the extra shells in, it, it wasn't holding them, so I got to have Dell take a look at that. But then I'd have to look at um, not that you have to shoot TSS, but I really like shooting TSS for turkeys, and I, I don't know if they make it in 16 gauge. I suppose I could get some custom loads, but you just you planted a seed, Kevin. I I might have to might have to try the Model 12 next next spring. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's it doesn't have it doesn't have a strap, and it's heavy as anything. So yeah, it's right. it's very cumbersome to bring around the woods, but it patterns. I mean, I'm I'm only going to shoot a turkey at you know 30 35 yards, and patterns fine for it. Yeah. With uh with the turkey loads, that I, I suppose have, so. that probably has a it's probably got a fixed choke too, right? Oh yeah, yeah. It's, it's Is very it a modified. And do you think, or it's a full? No, it's full. Okay, it's full. all right. Because mine's a so. fixed modified, so I guess that plays in as well. Although, what I've yeah. seen out of TSS, I'm sure I could I could pull that off in the right yeah. situation. So, yeah, I'm sure. Um, and then the uh, the LC Smith is uh, full mod. Uh, and that's a 16 so gauge. 16 gauge field yeah. grade LC Smith. Yeah. Cool. Um, so, how long are the barrels uh, on that? Do you know? Hmm. I don't know. Okay. I'm looking. I'm looking at it next to the one I mean, that's 28, probably, and it's very similar. So okay. Yeah. Probably 28. I'm thinking yeah. it's probably 28. That would make sense with the with the mod full choking. That's kind of yeah. typical of what you would see. Yeah, and my, my assumption is that like it was probably a duck gun. Um, sure. Because that's or I mean or pheasant. I'm sure. I yep. mean my my grandfather, the farm that is still in my family used to have wild pheasants crawling all over it. Um, it, we don't we don't have any wild ones anymore, but I'm sure that it was used for that. Sure. Um, but it was that the the LC Smith. My my great uncles don't remember that gun, so I'm thinking my grandfather had recently acquired it. Okay. Um, he used to do a lot of uh, a lot of uh, taxiing for Amish and uh, stuff, oddball projects for the Amish. So I bet it was just like a trade. That's you know, he cool. He probably did some work for it and got it traded to him, but. Um, the other guns they all recognize. I also have a lever action Winchester 32 special, um, which is a pretty sweet. And I wanna, I'd like to shoot my first deer with that too, mm. or my second deer. Um, but, but yeah. So those those guns were a, a big part of where I was like, so I, I have gun. I had always I'd always been interested in hunting um, from you know hunting games on the computer or watching things yeah um, but the and I had a couple friends on Long Island that duck hunted so it was just always something I was into um, but my I found a way to take my you know I found a hunter safety course I knew that I needed that in order to hunt and I my dad went and took it with me um, and then soon after that he took a day off school to take me he was a headmaster at a school and I was in school so he, we took a day in the fall and we went out to look for turkey. I um, we we melted crayons and put them on our face. My dad had for camouflage. I I wish we had a photo. <laughs> melted I, crayons. Oh, I had I looked it, it up. I was I was I was like, uh, man. If I had any questions, I was right to Google. So I was like, how can I make camouflage on my face? It was melt crayons. So Heck we melted yeah. crayons. Uh, we got um, my dad got a mouth call. 
that we did not know how to use. And it was in the fall, so Uh-oh. it was going to be. It was. It was just there was there was no way in which we were going to um, have any sort of success that day. Um, success related to bagging birds. Su- bagging. Yeah, you yeah. know what? Thank <laughs> yeah. you, Nick. That's that's a great way to look at it. Um, I wish we had photos because I have no idea what we were wearing, but I didn't own any camouflage. So we probably looked ridiculous pulling up to the McDonald's drive through at 4.30 in the morning with crayons on our face. You guys got um, breakfast at least. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we got breakfast. <laughs> um, we saw – so we, we went out with that L.C. Smith and the and the Model 12. No kidding. Um, That's cool. We, we sat in the woods. We had to check in at like the ranger station on Long Island. Checked in. They said, what are you hunting? We're like, turkey. I was like, well, if you shoot one, you have to bring it in, check station, all that stuff. Um, wow. So we go out there. Um, yeah, the the public land situation on Long Island is abysmal. Um, so it was like pretty, you had to check in before hunting and all that stuff. So we walked this trail. We sat under trees. We tried making noises with this call. We saw a really big buck, um, ah. which was cool. Uh, we took probably some great naps. And then we just kind of just kind of walked, and then at our our anticipation was like, oh, we're gonna find a turkey, we're gonna hunt it, it's gonna be great. Then it went down what, to like, man, what I really... part of Long Island? I'm looking at the map now. I gotta see. I like I, you know, it's like how this is. Like my my image of Long Island is just like you know New York, but it's like what yes. you're hunting on. So <laughs> so here's 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 kind of how Long Island works. You have New York City, right? Yeah. Um, then you have. Uh, then you have uh, Nassau County, um, which is right next to the city, which is complete, uh, very populated suburbia. Yeah. And then you have Suffolk County, which is just slightly less populated suburbia. Okay. Um, but it's pretty much like when you drive, and this was something funny that I never realized when I came off the island. When you drive anywhere else, you like hit a city, and then you have a little suburb, and then you're in the middle of nowhere. Long Island doesn't have any middle of nowhere. It's right, just constant right. suburbs all the way out. So if I had to guess, we were probably out like Rocky. I think it was Rocky Point uh, State Pine Barrens. So okay. like there are these ma- big preserves as you go farther out. So we probably did some driving to get to one of these preserves. Sure. Um, but there are there's a lot of deer on Long Island, especially on uh, if you go to the south, you have that Fire Island. That would make Island. sense. Yeah, I see the there, Long Island there, State Pine Barrens, and yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. So there are. I mean, I mean, there are piles of deer. I if, bet. What a what a. I'm sure it is a great place to be a bow deer hunter and get some access to some like old lady's backyard. It's probably insane. Um, but yeah, so our expectations when we started was like, oh, we're going to find a turkey. And then it probably went down to, ah, I wish we'd see a rabbit. And then it was probably down to, I really hope a squirrel comes out from one of these trees. <laughs> um, you're, uh, but, but yeah, so it was uh, unsuccessful, but I always appreciated that my dad was willing to took you out. jump into something, go to these classes, take me, take off a day of work and go somewhere with something that he knew nothing about um and we you know we only uh knew what we had learned from the class yeah um so it was just uh, it was always really cool that he had done that um and so flash forward to um to this year and i me and my buddies were making a small you know grouse camp in pennsylvania my friend's family cabin and uh i just text my dad and i was like hey what are you doing this weekend uh 
and I gave him the dates and he was like, I, I don't have anything right now. So I said, well, find your hunter safety card because you're buying a license. And so, um, so we went, we went out and I pretty much walked with my dad. We, we like split up into groups and yeah. stuff. Um, and we, we flushed, we only flushed that day. We probably all day, we probably flushed four birds, five birds. And there were two right in the beginning that Finn had pointed. Um, and I had got a shot off at one of them, I think. Uh, but what was funny was both times my dad kind of looks at me. He's like, why didn't you give me a warning? That, like the bird was gonna die. I was like, "Oh boy!" I said, "We we don't get warnings. We don't." I said, "I saw him pointed that way, so I said it's probably somewhere over there." So that was probably on me to not prep him a little bit more. That like we're gonna go in, and you just got to be a hundred percent ready. Um, and so the last cover of the day, um, we were walking through, and it was like a nice. It was really nice. It was we called it archipelago. Cause it was a bunch of like small islands of cover in this. Yeah. Like, grassy, yeah I read about that in your grass. dad's article. Oh uh, yeah. It sounded like a, a really neat place. Yeah. It was really unique and it was, it was warm and it was near the end of the day. Um, what time of year did you might've said that already? Uh, this was November, early November. Okay. So still warm here in PA. Like sure. we can easily have days in the, you know, in the mid sixties. Yeah. Um, so warm, it was warm. We were like pulling ticks off of us. And I just, we, we decided just to do a couple more passes and then call it on the day. Um, and Finn started getting birdie and he had, he had flashpointed a little bit and then stopped and then moved and stopped and moved. Um, and so I got around and we actually heard it in the grass. Um, and I got around to the other side to try to pressure it a little bit. And as we're walking up this kind of aisle of cover, um, all of a sudden I hear the flush and I have this perfect view of my dad through the cover. It's uh. like this little window and I see him raise a gun up, pull the trigger. And he just looks over at me, like puts his fist in the air. And he says, I got it. I was like, no way. you got it. <laughs> this is your first day grouse first. hunting yeah. in Pennsylvania. We're not like in Maine where you had like 50 opportunities all day. Like you've, I, I don't even know if he's seen a bird. I don't think he had seen a bird in the air yet. Like it was yeah, yeah. those two that had flushed before, like they were, they were fast. They were, you know, we were in different spots. So I don't think he even saw him. He was so asking this was the for first warnings. Bird even, <laughs> yes. He was asking for warnings. Um, and why I didn't tell him where the bird was going to be. And all of a sudden he looks at me and says, I got it. I'm like, oh. no way you got this. And I was like, are you sure? He's like, I saw it go down. So we go up there and he was like, it was right about here. Um, we're looking, we're looking. It's not there. It's not there. It's not there. I have Finn over there. I'm like, um, my command for Finn is just find it. And he's pretty, normally gets pretty amped and knows that he's looking for something. So he's looking, he's looking, he's looking. I was like, dad, are you sure? I was like, retrace your steps. Let's make sure we're like in the right area. And he's like, no, I'm sure it went down. And then sure enough, there's a scuffle. Um, and Finn has, uh, has found it. It's still... It still had some life left in it, but Finn had found it, and unfortunately, we lost the tail fan on it. Ah, but um, that'll happen. But we were we couldn't couldn't be more excited that he had right. found it. Um, we had been looking for probably five ten minutes, and I was starting to really doubt that he oh, yeah. had actually shot it. I'm sure, which he was too, in the back of his mind. Um, but yeah, that was that's that was that was pretty special. And then for him to see it, and um, my dad likes dogs. Um, he doesn't love dogs. Um, there, if, if a dog is even a slight inconvenience, he's not a big fan. Sure. Um, 
So for him to see Finn in his in his natural environment, like with where, a purpose like that, with a purpose, yeah. and you know, for Finn to be the reason that he was able to experience what he experienced was really cool. Yeah, um, which I think that happens for a lot of people. I mean, it's it's we all understand it having seen it, but until you until you see it happen, make that connection. I mean, it's yeah, that's a common story. I think. Yeah. So it was. It was really special, and then um, my dad was with me the next day when I shot my first PA grouse. Oh, cool! Um, so, and it was a, it was a beautiful bird, and so that was those were some really special moments. And um, I think my dad wrote about this in the article too. But like seeing that for us, it's like the hunt is a big part, but it's also the community. Mm-hmm. And for my dad to see that aspect and why you know he hears that like I'm you know pretty obsessed with this and. Uh, I think he saw for good reason because yeah. it's, it was, it was a cool weekend. Um, and I, I think back to like, even how I started and, you know, because I started in Upland, like say I had worked for a deer hunting magazine, maybe I'd be here on a deer hunting podcast talking about my love for that. Um, but it was really the community of the Upland community that got me the community aspect of it that really yeah. hooked me into it, you know? So it was cool for him to experience that. Um, and it was a nice way to kind of cap off, cap off our season. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And some of you alluded to some of his comments in the article were, because he was, it was pretty new exposure for him and just talked about like recognize, like when he got back to camp, like that, you know, telling the the hunt stories was like just as important as as going out and hunting. And I think, you know, those are things like we all kind of understand that. And then I loved his description of, you know, about exactly what you would expect somebody shooting at their first rough grouse. You know, I saw the bird pointed my gun in that direction and pulled the trigger and by God, it fell down. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's, that's, that's what this year was. Um, I, I helped two other, well, three people, but one was an experienced hunter, but two get their, their first woodcock. Um, and that was, that was what I told the other, um, the, it was my friend's dad, so he was probably in his, you know, 50s, and he had never shot, he was from Maine, but he had never shot a bird, you know, in the air or a grouse over a dog. Sure. Um, and so I would taken him out for a quick walk, and he was just, he told me, he was like, you told me to just fire and then aim, and that's that's what I did. <laughs> and it was like the same kind of situation. Um, ready, fire, Where you just kind of ready, fire, <laughs> aim. Yeah, and he said that I... He was like, I heard you say that, and that was all that was running through my head when that bird came flying. And so that was it was a sim- similar experience. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, it was really cool. It's cool to see it come kind of full circle with being able to bring my dad out, and I know he'll want to do it again this year. I'm hoping to hoping to get him up to Maine or New Hampshire somewhere. We can get a couple more opportunities. Um, but I'd say for your first day grouse hunting to be able <laughs> to say that your first shot, uh, he was a. Uh, one hit wonder. Um, uh, that's a good way to put it. That's what he was saying. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Yeah. You, I, I, I assume you've done the, the proper coaching and expectation setting for hunts to come. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, t- and it wasn't lost on him either. Yeah. Like I, I looked at him, I said, I've been hunting grouse in Pennsylvania. This is my third season, you know, trying to shoot a grouse and I have not shot one yet. It's they're wiry birds here. They, they don't play nice. They flush yeah. real far and, for, I, I think that cover was perfect for it because it was like, it was like those little pockets of cover. So for them to get away, they had to fly 
out of the cover and then they were yeah. in the open. So it was a it was a uh, a going away shot in the open. It was like couldn't have asked for a more perfect scenario. Yeah, that's that's really neat. Uh, your dad now he, he doesn't have a deposit down on a setter, does he? <laughs> everyone <laughs> everyone asked that. No, <laughs> no. He he may have a a little more appreciation for Finn, um, but no, no, he does not. Uh, sure, we'll get him out again this year. So yeah, that's cool. That's. So we, we all know how this uh, obsession can, you know, it can take hold strongly. Sometimes it... And sometimes it's just like an appreciation. Exactly. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah which is very cool. Now, yeah. you mentioned something. I jotted this down. I, I can't believe this has never come up on the podcast before. I, I'm, I don't think it has. But you mentioned computer games. And I actually thought about this recently. Did you, like, I don't know if you played a lot of them, but I used to play hunting hunting games on the computer. And... There mm-hmm. were actually some bird hunting games. There was like a bird hunter game, and I think I'd have to go do some Googling. There was like this bird hunter Wild Wings edition, and like I used to play those a lot, and they oh. actually had some Upland stuff on there. Do you ever recall playing anything like that, or were you referring to like deer hunting games? Or like what were you? It was it was pretty much all big game hunting games. Okay. Uh, we had, it, we got the, got the, I don't know where we got it from, but my, we could only play on my dad's work computer. Yeah. So like I'd call him at work. I'd say, can you bring your computer home tonight? And we'd hook it up to a projector <laughs> and be like moose hunting or bear yeah. hunting. And it yeah. was all like, we'd always do the super dangerous ones where the animals would charge you. Mm-hmm. We'd like yep. to scare ourselves silly, getting charged by, you know, you'd hear <laughs> it, but you wouldn't see it kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so we played that. And then I played, I think on the Wii, we had a Cabela's big game hunter that had like a plastic gun and stuff. Yeah. But I never, I never played besides, you know, duck hunter at my cousin's house. I never did any wing shooting ones. Okay. Um, well, I, I'm kind of bringing it up because I'm really curious if anybody listening played those games or has, and like, it's weird. Like, I think there's always been kind of a steady stream of kind of big game hunting. I mean, and that makes sense to me. You know, I played the Cabela's big game hunter on various playstations and whatever, and, and they still make them. And I actually, every once in a while, I'll go and look and see like, well, what are the new hunting games out? And there, there are games that come out, but they're, I don't know, I've, I've even tried to play a couple of them in, in, in my adult life. And they're just, I guess they're kind of like, just, they feel like the same to me. Um, mm-hmm. So i I don't know. I guess I'm throwing this out there because I would love to know if anybody has uh, has played a, a game recently that that really stands out to them uh, as being cool, specifically with bird hunting. Because there was, I even think what there was, was that one called. Well, I think it was just called Bird Hunter. I think it was Bird Hunter for PC, and then it might have been Bird Hunting Wild Wings Edition. Like there were multiple. Oh yeah, ones. here this it is. is. You found it. Bird Hunter Wild Wings Edition 2000. 2000 is when it came out yeah, for that, PC. That sounds about right. And I mean I remember the duck hunting was kind of cool like you hop in a boat, drive around and like set up a blind and put out your decoys and then you were calling ducks in and I think the upland thing might have even had a bird dog component. Like I remember you were shooting quail and I don't remember much about grouse and woodcock but um, man, it's oh yeah, yeah. Here's a truck. Yep, you're getting out of the truck. Oh, you have like your little. Uh, Are you yeah, watching like a, a video? Yeah, yeah. Gameplay. Wow, okay. this is rough. Yeah, but there's. It seems to be a short-haired, pointing dog. No kidding. Yeah, and yeah, he's running through the field. He's got a shotgun. So there we go. Does yeah, he go that's on pretty point? Funny. I'm. Well, we're about to find out. <laughs> I'm, uh, gonna, I'm he's, gonna go watch he's, the videos. Oh, oh nope. He he. Well, either he was a rough. Not a finished it. pointing dog, it. but he kind of ripped it. 
<laughs> but the guy was still shooting? Yeah, and it was, yep, yep, he's still shot. So questionable oh, decision oh, there. Geez. But it looks like they could be quail. Hold on, let's see. Oh, that but guy... he retrieved it. The dog retrieved a hand. Good, good, good. It looks like a valley quail. Valley quail. It could be a valley quail. It's got the little like uh, little ear thing or the little uh, feather, the you know, top, coming up above knot. his head. Yeah, the top knot. There you it's, go. It's got the top knot. <laughs> Sweet. You're okay. Have to illegally download that. Yes. Yeah. Let me know where you find it. Uh, I will torrent that. My no, I won't. I'm not, I'm not saying that on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is. Oh, we could go into. I don't know if you ever had uh, like emulators, Sega Genesis emulators. Video games. We'll have to save this for a different episode, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. But I do want to throw out, uh, I, I would be very, very interested if, if anybody out there listening, I, I imagine a lot, of, uh, a lot of listeners will be sort of smiling and shaking their heads at us, but uh, if anybody played any cool bird hunting games recently or old, that information would be very welcome to me at nick at birdshotpodcast.com. Please send that my way. <laughs> yeah, you could probably you probably want some uh, maybe some uh, game developers to reach out. And that's that's game. really that's what your I'm, main goal yeah, here. That's what yeah. I'm getting at. I want to plant you the seed. You can't hide it. It could be done. It could be done now with with today's advancements in technology. We could we could have a cool wing shooting game. Let's do it. Let's make it happen. Somebody <laughs> do it. <laughs> Uh, we didn't even really get a chance to talk about the your trip over to was it Sweden or Norway? Uh, so I went to both. I filmed okay. and hunted in Sweden. You're Norwegian, but, right? Yeah. So okay. my my all my dad's side of the family is all Norwegian. My okay. great grandparents immigrated from Norway. Okay. Uh, well, let's talk about it briefly. One thing I I just like I was looking at some of the imagery from that hunt your trip over there which i'm i'm assuming came up from your film and and photo photography work uh just Mm -hmm. beautiful you know like i see that and i think like it's like a setting on like game of thrones or something you know just like that really really deep forest scandinavian forest which has some parallels i would imagine you could speak to this much more than i could to kind of the boreal forest that i see here in minnesota and some of the northern forest but but definitely different talk about a little bit compare and contrast a little bit what you saw over there yeah so um it was definitely it was definitely different than anything i've ever experienced i will say the closest thing that i i'm sure there's stuff in canada and alaska Mm -hmm. that are closer to what it was um but when i went up looking for spruce grouse um i got into some stuff that felt kind of similar and that's that that, like you know that spongy Mm -hmm. spongy ground um moss covered trees with that like hanging green moss um but i didn't see anything like this because a lot of what i saw up in minnesota was like younger but still that that kind of boreal feel but it was definitely younger than what was out here and that's that's what uh, miguel was telling me when we were there is they're not looking for that that young forest right uh these these bigger birds really want that that patchwork of the blueberry bogs and marshes right up next to old old trees and um it's still like cover because they're you know they're evergreens they have like very dense branches that are low to the ground so it's still there's still cover for them but it's very different it's yeah. very different and even when i was like i'd point out like yeah if i was in you know new england i'd i'd hunt something like this and it was like a fresher cut and he's like yeah we're not gonna find any birds in there <laughs> interesting um 
So it was it was definitely very different. Um, I I would assume people who've been to like Alaska and stuff um, see a, a a similar a kind of similar uh, habitat. Um, but it was definitely different than anything I hunt. You know, rough grouse and yeah. Did but you? It was, it was cool. So so you kind of maybe hinted at it there, but I was curious like they have kind of their version of early successional because like do they have like real stemmy shrubby kind of stuff there or it's just not really what what i saw in the imagery yeah so where we found birds no there was a day where we were in some thicker stuff um but they don't they do log he was telling me they log in some areas but it's not it's different it's just very different it's very different there and we were on you know there are large tracks of um privately owned and then also some public land their public land is like um a little the private land is tough to hunt um you kind of have to know people and the the thing there is like private land doesn't have you know it's a very european thing where like if there's animals on private land like that's the that's the person's they own they they own the animals yeah so when he goes and he hunts down in southern um sweden we were in like central so down in southern like he hunts on some private land and they there's not limits on the private land like that's up to the the ownership of the people that the landowner interesting Um, so that was that was that was definitely different and interesting um and then with the public land you have to like they only allow a certain amount of people on so you have to buy like a card he called it um to hunt on the public land um but it was it was cool where we were at because we were right on the edge of a mountain, and so we ran into, you know, almost all of their their game bird species. We we weren't where there were woodcock, so uh, and there wasn't their season anyway. But it would have been cool to see some European woodcock. Um, but we ran into the the kind of the ptarmigan. We were close to where there would be rock ptarmigan, but we found some willow ptarmigan. Um, okay. and then it had the Capricali and then the black grouse, the black grouse were definitely the, the coolest. They were like the closest thing there to rough grouse, um, but okay. just bigger, bigger. It was, it was, everything was bigger. It was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, when the, when the Capricali busted out of the trees, it was like <laughs> Jake yeah, turkeys. You wrote about that. Yeah. Yeah. It was insane. So you got, you got to hunt though. Like what was there, what was it like getting a license at like any, uh, major hurdles so it's, it's or... like a um the i can't you can't bring your own gun right. into the country you and i was under like i forget what it was called but some like mentor program okay so the the stipulation was i had to be i think it was i'm, I'm gonna misquote this but i had to be a certain distance from him with oh, his that's gun right. he couldn't yeah. be using a gun yeah. so it's very very strict and very like it wasn't, it's not like a big D, DIY thing, you know? Sure. Um, yep. So I know there are, there are probably a lot of private lodges there that it's a lot easier to do, but on the public land, I had to use his gun, you know, a resident's gun, and I had to be within a couple got to be right there. Yards, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right there with me. Yep. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I only, I only hunted for like 15 minutes. Yeah. I was, I was just, I was working the whole time. So but it was it was it was really cool. It was definitely a cool experience, um, and just like nothing I'd ever seen before. Yeah, well, the Capricali or Capricali? Yeah, Capri- Capricali, I think. Capri- Capricali. I, I probably am 
yeah. Like I feel like you know I've I've seen the I've seen the videos this kind of giant grouse and they can be very aggressive and stuff. But like aside from hunt, you know what else did you see like while hunting them? I know like you kind of busted a group out of a tree. Um, did you? Do you have any other interactions? Like, tell me a little bit more about that bird, just like other than what you yeah. see on these funny videos. Yeah. So there's, they the males are the you know the trophies. Obviously, they yeah. can. The one I shot was a juvenile. Juvenile and it male. Was a young of the year. That was a juvenile male, young of the year. Okay. Um, which was insane because it was huge. It was a. Uh, it was like. I think it was eight pounds. Wow. Seven okay. pounds. Oh. It's Jeez. massive. And it was a young of the year. Yeah. So we were there in the early season where a lot of the black grouse and the capricali are all still in broods. So the cap the one that I shot at, the the group that got up was a family group that had been, you know, uh Shika, his Bracco, was tracking for a good two hundred yards. Um and so we didn't we he thinks that we um, were in the presence of some large males and a couple times, just the way the dog was working, the way it was looping us around and giving us a slip. Um, but they have, like, the males have home turfs. And when you're in their home turfs, you're, like, you can kind of tell based on the way it looks, but then also the way the dog is working. Um, but it was, we, we never we never found one. And they're, they'll... They'll run you for forever, and kind of like rough grouse, they're just moving ahead of the dog, waiting and flushing at the very last possible second that they have to. Wow. Um, okay. So they 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 have big, you know, it could be like an acre or so like area where they that bird is living, and you'll run it through that whole area and never find it because it gives you the slip. He knows. So every we inch only of found. It. Yeah. Yeah. Knows knows the escape, how to get out, has been there for years, and they I mean they can get up, you know into over 12 pounds like they're just they're turkeys yeah yeah um so they i mean the ones that we found did flush like you would you would want a bird to flush um i think she ended chica was tracking them tracking them tracking them she ended up bumping them but they like i didn't go up and flush them but there were birds that were you know worked similar to a rough grouse uh, how you'd assume you know a forest bird to work sure um but there were lots of family groups. We got he shot one um, mature black grouse, and it was it was just like a, you know a rough grouse hunt. We we were moving it along an edge, along an edge, and then we came came to a point where he couldn't go any farther, and he flushed just like just like a rough grouse. Um, it was really it was really cool, and they're beautiful with those like spots red red above their eyes and just big dark birds. Mm, yeah, I got I got and they were photos of the black grouse. Yeah, there were and they're they're all over Europe. Um, any any in the high, any high elevation spot has them in Europe, I believe. I know they're in like the Alps, okay. in the in uh, you know in northern Italy, in a bunch of spots. But uh, the Capricali, I think, are mostly um, nowadays. I think there are some in Germany still, but mostly nowadays they're up in like Scandinavia or Russia. Right, right. And I heard there were failed attempts to introduce them into the U.S. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I don't know too much about it, but I know they tried to to um, introduce them here. I wonder what. Uh, obviously, I don't know. Be interesting to I'll have to do a little reading on them to know like sort of where they. I mean, I can kind of get an idea of where they survive and thrive just based on what you're describing of that cover. But be interesting. To yeah, know. I think I think they need that that boreal forest. Um, yeah. Yeah, but but yeah, it was definitely a uh, just a wild experience to go and. 
even just follow along in a country where none of the birds are the same, none of the habitats the same, everything's different. And uh, we were up near um, where there are a lot of native native Scandinavians that herd caribou. So, like, there were caribou all over the place. Uh, It was was pretty cool. Yeah. It was definitely cool. I think I recall, too, probably, I think you were on Tyler's podcast. I was listening, and, like, shortly after the trip, and you were talking, kind of really talking about how good table fare these birds were in, in Miguel's cooking, I think. that Wasn't that a big component for you? Yeah. 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 He, he, the way he, we did, uh, like, the the black grouse was definitely the best, um, but the capricali was was great. Um, we did it with, like, with like, a, like, a, like a cream sauce and some mushrooms, mm. and it was, yeah, the table, they were, they were great to eat, great to eat. Cool. And a lot of meat. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's plenty an, to go another another bonus. But the the culture up there was definitely um from what I heard very different, very big game focused. Yeah. Um and very few people are hunting with dogs and when they do it's normally the wealthy people that get a helicopter flight up to the top of the mountains to hunt rock ptarmigan. Interesting. As far as as far as like like that's, you know, that's the high class thing to do there if you have bird dogs you go up and you hunt the rock ptarmigan up at high elevation in September. But as far as people, you know, running dogs on, you know, forest grouse, we, we ran into one other group of hunters and they were from Norway. The oh. Sweden season opens up earlier and there are more hunters in Norway. So a lot of them pop over the border to hunt Sweden. Um, but we didn't, we didn't run into anyone, see any cars, anything up there. It was just us. Wild. Yeah. It's pretty crazy stuff. Awesome, man. Well, yeah, I was glad to, I wanted to get a few of your thoughts on that, but we'll, uh, we'll wrap this up. What we didn't even really talk about your, the, all the work you do and stuff, but I'll, uh, I'll kind of set that up in the intro. You, you spend much, uh, a number of fall days behind the lens of a camera and, and shooting stuff and folks have probably seen some of your work, um, whether they recognize it or not, you do an excellent job in that regard. I was going to ask you, you, you were kind of describing, when your dad shot that grouse, you kind of like set up the shot, you know, you could see him through the cover. Like, did you, did you for a second wish you had your camera there? Or I, I suppose you were oh, just yeah. as happy to be there with your gun as well. Yeah, it would have been, it would have been cool to capture that. Um, of course I was able to, I got some like just iPhone videos of like, yeah. you know, him and Finn interacting when they first found it. So I have, I have some of those memories there, but That's cool. that, that shot, that shot of him through the, through the canopy or through the, uh, <laughs> through the brush, with his fist in the air, looking over at me, it was like it, it didn't even feel real. I was like, "You did not just shoot that bird. You did not. <laughs> That's awesome. You might have thought you did, but you did not. On your first day grouse hunting in Pennsylvania, shoot a bird um, there, yeah. and there were there there wasn't even a hint of jealousy in it, though. Yeah, because he, he, I mean, he technically he got his PA bird sooner than I did. Yeah. So it was like it was it was like yeah yeah don't yeah <laughs> I love it. Well, anything, anything you can, whether it's work-related or personal, what's coming up this fall? You got any big adventures planned? Um, I have a trip with some buddies to northern Michigan. Um, we're going to be hunting on one of the islands up there oh. uh, near the UP, so that's going to be really fun. We'll probably, we'll probably create some sort of content um, while we're there, which will be fun. Um, and then the other ones, I'm going to uh, Canada most likely um, for a quick trip. Uh, couple of work trips around uh wisconsin um 
and then I'll hopefully make it up to Maine or New Hampshire for for personal stuff. So we're 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 gearing up for a for a, a nice long season. So I can't believe it's only three months away, right? I know. Is it three months. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. crazy. It is. We're in like this weird mix of like fall feels like it was a long time ago, but I can't believe it's already almost here. Yes. Yep. That's that's exactly where we're at in the year, and and I think. Maybe kind of to bring the conversation full circle, turkey hunting kind of plays a role in that because it's like that sort of I'm looking ahead, looking ahead, looking ahead to turkey hunting. Now that's behind me, and it's like next up is the fall hunting season. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's right there. And I'm I'm pumped. I'm going to Maine in July for a couple things, and that's when their quiet period's over. So oh yeah, we'll so uh, maybe get out on. We'll some be birds. oh yeah yeah we're we're going up to a cabin um, with family. And so we'll, we'll be up every morning out there and I'm just, I'm, I'm excited for that. And that's like a month away. And then by the time that's over, it'll be like a month and a half and we'll be doing the real thing. So yeah, yeah. Right around the corner. Awesome, man. Well, we'll have to keep in touch and, uh, depending on how far West you make it, let me know. I'd love to, love to see Finn run in the woods at some point. I'm sure our paths will cross sooner or later. Yeah, I'm sure they will. That'd be a blast. Best place for folks to go and see some of your work. You did a you did a film on the Scandinavian hunt. So if anybody wants to see that Project Upland yeah, YouTube yep, that's page, up on Project Upland. Yeah, yep. my personal work is just on my name on social media or YouTube or website. Just Kevin Ernvig. Yeah, I'm, I'm pumped for the season. Pumped for uh, creating some cool films, and hopefully, hopefully it turns out great, which I'm sure it will. Just you know, you can't go wrong being out in the woods. Well said, my friend. Well, that does it for another episode of the Bird Shot Podcast. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Bird Shot Podcast presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. And if you really love the show and want to contribute above and beyond what you already do by listening, you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash birdshot. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode of the Bird Shot Podcast. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.